I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The following is a content warning. This episode contains mention of death and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. In the late afternoon on August 30th, 2019, in an otherwise sunny and pristine day, a body was found floating in Green Lake, a popular recreational and park area in northern Seattle. When police arrived, they pulled the woman's body from the water. It was 23-year-old Autumn Lee Stone. She had a vest zipped up to her neck. Underneath the vest, shoelaces were tied around her neck like she had been strangled. She was fully clothed, but her shoes were missing. At the time, first responders thought it looked suspicious. When detectives arrived, they quickly started telling the public it was likely a suicide, and in just a few weeks, her case was closed. Immediately, friends and family didn't buy it. Questions began to formulate. How do you kill yourself with shoelaces? How did her body get into the lake? Why was she at Green Lake in the first place? The questions mounted. The police initially remained adamant that there was no indication of defensive wounds or foul play. But then, in 2020, the Seattle Police Department suddenly reopened Autumn's case. It's been almost four years since Autumn died, and the family is still waiting for answers and justice. This is the death of Autumn Stone. This is what I was told. If, it doesn't even answer how she zipped up her coat, because nobody can answer that part. How could she have, how could she have done that? The only way would be to have like a tourniquet-type twist. So imagine if you had a tourniquet, so you twist, you twist, you twist, and it just keeps tightening. And then you would have to tuck that up so it wouldn't release, right? So you'd tuck it up and under something. But it was so tight, there was no, and there was no spot where a tourniquet, like a stick would have been. Uh, Even if there was something like that, it would have been under the vest coat. 
but that, nothing like that was found. And even the, the, the lieutenant from Seattle Fire said there was, there was no tourniquet. There's, there was no twist. He, he said, this is, Ian said, this is, a, this is a homicide. I mean, somebody killed her. Yeah, we know. We know somebody killed her. Brent Campbell worked as a police officer with the city of Redmond, Washington for almost eight years. After being a cop, he started his own private investigation firm, Campbell Investigations and Security Services. In February 2020, Autumn's family called Brent after being referred to him. He took on the case almost immediately. He sunk his teeth into it, and one of the first things he needed to do was look at all the possibilities of how Autumn died. That included looking at a suicide, accidental death, or a homicide. As he dug into the investigation, he quickly discerned that detectives made numerous errors right from the get-go. What, what we decided was, um, I said, here's what, here's what I'll do. And they, I wanted to make sure they understood it. I had to look at it. I had, I had a, a conclusion from SPD that um, it was a suicide, right? Um, so I, I told him, I said, I have, to, I have to eliminate that. I have to uh, look at it as possible accidental. And then I have to look at it, could it be a homicide? So we were going to look, I told him I would look at all three. I'm, I'm going in this, I'm, you know, I'm not looking at it like, okay, she was murdered. How do I prove it? I was, I wanted to find out what happened. Um, and that included looking at those angles. And, and I, and I said, I want you guys to understand that when I'm starting to ask those questions, um, I'm not, I'm not being callous and I'm not being, you know, I'm, I'm concerned, but I, I want you to know that I have to do this. I have to eliminate the others before we can arrive at this. And that's what we did. And it was painful, but it was quick. Oh, it was quick. This case was fraught with just errors and just horrible police detective work. Uh, and it became very apparent. Uh, I ordered up the public records. Um, I told them that's the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to get public records. And I got it. I got not all, but I got a lot of reports. I mean, and I just sat there for days pouring through you know, police reports, narratives, officer reports, detective reports. Um, we got the Emmy involved, got the Emmy stuff. I got, you know, got the photos from there. So we did a lot of, a lot of legwork in the beginning. From that, I developed the timeline. From the timeline, we developed questions. We developed uh, inaccurate reporting from SPD. I mean, it, we just blew it up. Blew it up. I became a real bad thorn in SPD's side, not intentionally, but um, they just, the detective in charge just didn't do a good job. I wanted to interview Brent so he could lay out a clear timeline of events leading up to when Autumn's body is found. He spent three years on the case and knows it like the back of his hand. You'll already know some of this information from the first episode, but I think it's vital to hear Brent discuss the timeline and lay out the details leading up to Autumn being found in Green Lake. On August 22nd, 2019, Autumn's five-week-old son was admitted to Harborview with skull fractures, broken ribs, other injuries, and, and complications. CPS removed the family from the hospital uh, due to the injuries, claiming that it was abuse. So that, that's kind of the start of this whole thing, okay? From that time to the time where Autumn left to Green Lake was fraught with uh, CPS and court and uh, Autumn finding out about her fiance's past, which she didn't know about. 
And so all that just kind of from the 22nd to the 30th, we're talking eight days, there was a lot going on. A lot of emotions, a lot of uh, questions, a lot of discovery, I think, on Autumn's part about the man she was going to marry and possibly what had happened to her baby. So that's kind of where we're at. We come to August 30th, 9.36 a.m., Autumn is talking to her best friend, Kimberly, by phone, who you're going to interview on Wednesday. The call lasted 15 minutes. We have a copy of that phone report, and we also have a polygraph that Kimberly took confirming the conversation that she had with with Autumn. And I've got, I'm going to just flip to that page. Basically, what the, the conversation in the polygraph was, was Autumn said she was meeting Tyler at Green Lake, and she was going to get answers. And um, so when she talked to Kimberly that morning at 9.36 a.m., that is what she said, okay? 15-minute phone call between friends, <clears throat> confirming that that's what she was doing. 10.30 a.m., Autumn tells her mom that she's going to Green Lake in Seattle. So that phone call was from her home. 10.30 a.m., Autumn tells her mom she's going to go to Green Lake to get a pedicure and walk the lake to clear her mind. It's not unusual for her to do that. She's done it before. And this was something that her dad, James, had told her to do, right? Go get your mind off things. Go walk. Go journal, right? Uh, they didn't like the fact that she was going to Green Lake, but that's where she went. Um, but it wasn't unusual because it was her favorite place to go. So uh, she left her house in her car at 10.30 a.m. 11.31 a.m., she arrives at Green Lake and called her mom to say she was safe. Got the attached Verizon phone log stating that. It was discovered uh, after Autumn was recovered that she had parked in a community center parking lot. So we didn't know where she was parked at first. And then uh, it was discovered that when they were starting to do a search for her car, they found it in the community center parking lot. It's a 22-minute walk from that parking lot to where she was recovered or Duck Island. I don't know if you're familiar with Duck Island. There's a bench there. 22-minute walk. So she parked, she walked, and... Apparently, that's where she ended up. So, 12 o'clock. So, that's the last anybody heard from Autumn. It was 11.31 on the 30th, okay? August 30th, 2019, 12 o'clock. Okay. So, the reporting party, I don't know if you want names or not, but the reporting party, I'll just do initials, JK, and his family had arrived at Green Lake, and they were setting up. Uh, a picnic, and they were going to hang out there during the day. It's a beautiful day, okay? Oh, you, you think about it, August 30th, in the middle of the day, it's hot, hundreds of people there. And at about 2.30 p.m., the daughter goes out onto a paddleboard and yells to her dad that she sees a big turtle on the lake. So now we've got 2.30, so 11.30 to 2.30. Right now, the first sighting of her was at 2.30, okay? We don't know it's her yet. It's a turtle at this point. So from 11.30 to 2.30, three hours. We have a three-hour window. We don't know what happened to Autumn in that three hours. Four o'clock, Kearns goes out to see what it is, finds out that it's her, and calls 911 at 4.11. After 911 was called, police officers from the Seattle Police Department and a local fire detachment arrived at Green Lake. On body cam footage obtained by the Seattle Times and made public in their piece on Autumn, police officers can be heard saying the following, quote, It's either a homicide or a suicide. They found her floating in the water, fully clothed. 
with no socks, no shoes. Zipper to her vest was all the way up to her neck. It's weird though, right? You'd think, I don't know, it doesn't seem right. End quote. Here's Brent describing the scene as police and first responders arrived. First officer on scene goes out with a fire lieutenant from uh, Seattle Fire. They both pull her in and they notice that she has a vest on zipped up to her chin. Okay. They're not sure how long she's been in the water. They want to start CPR. Uh, They can't get the zipper down. And according to the the lieutenant with with Seattle Fire, he had to just rip it down to get that vest down enough to where they could start CPR. Immediately after opening up the vest, that is when they noticed the shoelaces buried into her neck and twisted four or five times about a half inch deep. Okay. At that point... They realized she'd been she'd been gone for a while. They did CPR, um, and then they terminated that and called the time of death. What we saw in those videos was a lot of the police officers starting to hear what was found and how it was found. When, when you hear of a of a young female being pulled from the lake and having shoelaces wrapped around her neck four or five times, uh, embedded a half inch deep and twisted and knotted. The the SPD lieutenant, S not S SCL fire lieutenant told me he goes, I he goes, it was so knotted and twisted, I had to end up cutting it off because they couldn't get it un, unwound. You you can't be, I understand being in the water can kind of kind of do some things with the laces, but it can't twist and knot, right? That's done manually. The theme in the in the in the park at that time were and you saw it on the videos okay, something's not right, right? This is not normal, okay? And everybody thought it was homicide. They put the soldiers on the ground to everybody there, okay? It just, it just, it looked like it, it stunk like it. So while that's going on, the officer in charge hears from the RP's wife that as she was running to get her kid out of the lake, there was a guy in a hammock, right where Autumn was pulled out. And she said that guy took off running when, when he heard the sirens and he had a backpack in his hand. Um, that person that ran off eventually came back and he was identified by Seattle police. And he had a warrant out of Shoreline, which is 10 minutes away, okay? A domestic violence, violence warrant. Uh, he also had multiple, tech, multiple protection orders against other women. So he had a history of, of uh, violence against women with a, with a current uh, protection order. SPD didn't really question him, asked what he had been doing. And instead of calling Shoreline, which had been a great time to get a DNA test from the guy, they cut him loose. Not sure why. Uh, he's a suspect. At the very least, he's a witness because he was right there. So that was going on at that point. Detectives were called because of the laces, because of um, the suspiciousness of the way she was found, and the investigation started at that point. It's clear from the beginning that detectives became myopic about Autumn's case being a suicide. I want to read you an excerpt from the investigation report. This was written by one of the lead detectives at the time. 
quote, The victim was pulled from the water by patrol officers. The victim was fully clothed, but she was missing her shoes. She was wearing white, ankle-type socks. I did a preliminary visual exam of the decedent and noticed that the victim did not appear to have any defensive wounds or marks on the arms, hands, fingers, face, or legs. The ligature marks around her neck were clearly visible, but nothing to indicate defensive struggle marks or scratches on her neck near the ligature marks to indicate she was fighting or resisting. End quote. Sure enough, in just a few weeks, they closed Autumn's case, ruling it a suicide. So the, the SPD investigation went from August 30th to September 13th, okay? That's how long the investigation lasted. December, or September 13th, the detective in charge of the case closed it as a suicide after two weeks uh, with many unanswered questions, inaccurate reports, and incorrect assumptions. We had two persons of interest remained at large, needed further investigation, and uh, that's where that's where I started tearing apart his report. One of the more interesting documents from this case is the King County Medical Examiner's autopsy report. In the report, the examiner concludes the following, quote, The cause of death of this 23-year-old woman found floating in Green Lake is asphyxia due to ligature applied around the neck, strangulation. Due to uncertainty pertaining to the circumstances of the decedent's death, the manner of death is undetermined, end quote. Brent broke down the details of the medical examiner's report to me, which raises many questions and doubts about the suicide theory. Cause of death with the 23-year-old woman found floating in Green Lake is asphyxia due to ligature applied around the neck strangulation. Manner of death undetermined, which is where uh, Seattle Times got the name of their, their uh, article. So she did not drown, okay? She had no water in her lungs. So I'm going to walk you through this. She's got shoelaces wrapped around her neck, four or five times, half inch deep, twisted, knotted, unable to get it undone. So there's a couple things that that screams out. It screams out rage and it screams out uncontrolled something or other when they're twisted, knotted in that deep. So now we're talking, is it suicide or is it somebody else? Well, can somebody do that to themselves? Uh, I don't know. Let's just be a devil's advocate and say, sure, why not? Right. Maybe she's that angry and, and upset. So when you strangle yourself, before you die, you pass out, right? And I've had this fair. I mean, we've been through this with crime scene reconstructionists. Uh, I had a company in San Diego actually put this together and try to figure it out, you know, through models and this and that, and it's just not possible. So, so she passes out. Somehow she zips her coat up, but if she doesn't have water... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Lungs, that means she died on land, right? She's got no water in lungs. She didn't die from drowning. So she wasn't in the water. She died before she went in the water. What we can't get Seattle police to explain is how is that possible? How could she have strangled herself with such extreme force and anger, passed out, then zip her coat up, and then launch herself in the water? Can't do it. Can't do it because she would have been dead before she hit the water because she didn't have water in her lungs. She didn't take a breath in the water. She was, she was dead before she hit the water. Well, they can't explain it to us. Nobody can explain it to us. And... That's the big question mark, okay? So we're asking them, please, we're looking for answers. How, how does one do that? We have not found anybody that can explain it to us because it's not possible, right? We can't. There's no, now, there are people that say, well, anything's possible. You, get, you go down that rabbit hole and you'll, you'll forever be lost in it. But anybody in this business and in cr- crime scene reconstruction has not been able to figure out how that's possible. So that's the first thing. Okay. The other crime scene errors, investigation crime scene errors, obviously we have a, a, a male with a warrant that is at the scene of the crime, that's seen running from the crime, that's never questioned, and at the very, very least, never even detained on his warrant. Not even detained. Cut loose. It's a domestic violence warrant. We took those seriously when I was a police officer. You got somebody on DV warrant, you wanted them off the street. But he was cut loose. How? How is he cut loose when there's a girl that died right there? Wouldn't he be a suspect? Or again, at the very least, a witness, right? Didn't you hear something? Didn't you see something? So the first thing is that was, that was a huge error on their part. Nobody understands why they cut that guy loose. And again, I've got a whole page of what they should have done with him, what they could have asked him. We don't have the, the alibi from her ex-fiance has not been verified. And, and actually, just recently, we are hearing that that alibi may have changed. I want you to understand the case is still open. Seattle Police does not keep cases open. As you can tell by closing it in 12 days. They don't keep cases open. So the fact that this case is open means they're still working it, which is why we're hopeful. I did reach out to the Seattle Police Department to confirm that Autumn's case was open. They were able to confirm that it is an open investigation, but said they could not provide any additional information, which, from my experience, is pretty standard with an active investigation. As I started to dig deeper into the case, one of the more baffling elements was the topic of DNA. The medical examiner found sperm cells inside Autumn, 
but the DNA wasn't sent for testing until months after the case was closed. And when the results finally came back, they were found incomplete. Now, you talk to the family, and you talk to Amy. Autumn was never out of their sight from the time this happened, from the time baby was shaken and sent to the hospital, to the day she died. She was never out of their sight, okay? Which was, what, 12 days or 14 days. So there's no, there's no way Amy and James said that she could have had sexual intercourse with anybody because there was, she just wasn't, number one, she wasn't there with the baby. Number two, she wasn't there emotionally and her and Tyler had not seen each other and they were there the whole time. So they know, right? So then you get to talking to, uh, I called the medical examiner, a um, couple different ones. And the common, common knowledge on that is the sperm can only last a maximum six days in the body, in the vaginal cavity. So for them to find during the, the medical exam, Spermatosa, sperm, sperm, spermatozoa, I said it wrong the first time, um, means what? It had to have happened within six days. Or the way we've been thinking, it had to have happened that day. I think she was sexually assaulted that day. Or if Dr. Kimberly, she said, well, maybe she had consensual, consensual, consensual sex with Tyler uh, to get information from him. I don't know, but we know that she did not have any sex uh, the family does any sex up to that point. So, um, so, so now we've got the autopsy report saying she's got spermatosa identified in the vaginal swab. But when we call down to uh, Washington State Patrol, which does all the DNA testing, they don't have it. So now we call back to the ME, and the ME says, "Well, SPD, SPD never requested to be sent." Okay, so then we have to have SPD request it to be sent. 158 days later, it gets sent. And we find out that the swabs that were sent had incomplete DNA. Because this is still an active investigation, Brent didn't want to share all he knows about the DNA saga. The last thing anyone wants to do is impede the current investigation. But he said he's hopeful that progress is being made regarding the case and on the DNA front. I asked him if he thought his own investigative work helped coerce the SPD to reopen the case. When we requested a meeting with the new detective, and I've got a, I've got a murder book that's, you know, three inches thick, and I presented everything that I found, that was one of many, but that was the big one. And yeah, I, I think the entire the, the entire work product that we put together for them to say this is not a suicide. At the very least, you can't tell me it's not a homicide, right? They opened, they reopened it. There's just too much. And and you know, if we go over the the medical examiner crime scene photos, I mean, my goodness, is there is there things that could have been done that weren't done? Uh, things that were assumed that shouldn't have been. I got into a huge argument with the medical examiner about Autumn's hands. This was another. This was another issue, a big one that I think they reopened it. So I took 
medical examiner's photos and I enlarged the photos of her hands because it looked like to me like there was defensive wounds on her hands. The ME said that was dirt. Well, I blew it up. I sent it to him and I said, we have abrasions on the knuckles of both hands with actual chunks of skin missing from the knuckles. Okay, these are, there's no mistaking what we saw and what we see. I mean, I've got the photo right in front of me. When I showed that again to the ME, he didn't recall seeing these wounds and, and also said, well, the detective also said there was no defensive wounds or injuries or any injuries to her extremities, which is so categorically wrong that when I showed the photos to the new detective, he didn't say he agreed with me, but you could tell he was a little disturbed with what I was showing him because they're obvious wounds as if, so we reenacted it. The wounds would be as if she was bracing on gravel with her fists pointed down at the ground, bracing as if she's being assaulted and she's pushing and the area that we think it happened was full of gravel and rocks. The, the one thing that the, the initial detective pointed to was that Autumn had a suicide note. This journal entry that Autumn made on the morning of her death is particularly important. It played a big part in the police ruling her death as a suicide. But when I talked to family and friends, they said journaling and writing prayers was something Autumn did. This was not weird or an anomaly. In part, the note or entry reads, quote, Thank you for all the blessings you have given me in my life, my two beautiful sons who are my whole world. I love my babies with every piece of my heart and would and will do anything and everything I need to make sure they have the absolute best lives possible. Amen. End quote. Brent had the note analyzed by several experts, and they also agreed that this did not read like a suicide letter or note. Break it down. They actually broke it down word for word and also agreed that it was not a suicide note. It was a prayer in a journal of hers. And so this talk of it being a suicide note somehow took hold, and that's what they based their entire um, cause of death was on this note when it, it just wasn't true, right? She, she was writing a letter to God to take care of her kids because of what had happened. And she's a mom and, you know, and she was upset, but there was nothing, there was no, there was no plan. There was no nothing. Um, and so he was using that as a proof of suicide. Anyways, we proved that to be incorrect. So that was something that I think also helped with the case because we actually did have therapists look at it. We had we had handwriting experts look at it, and we had people that broke it down word for. I mean, we went to the to the ends of the earth to have that prayer analyzed, and it came back as no, this is not a suicide note. So SPD was the only one that thought so. Another startling discovery Brent made was that there was actually a tripod near the crime scene, close to where Autumn's shoes were found, but no camera was ever located. As Brent points out, not only is this odd, but certainly something police should have seriously looked into. Also at the crime scene that SPD never investigated, and this is going to be something that nobody has quite understood, and I really think it's just bizarre. There was a tripod, you know, a camera tripod in a tree 
located where her shoes were found in a tree, in the middle of a tree, probably about 10, 12 feet up, a tripod, um, which would have been real close to where the guy in the hammock was. So my whole thing to SPD was, well, hey, you know, the guy that was seen leaving the scene hurriedly, is how she put it, with a backpack in his hands when he heard the sirens coming, could there have been a camera in that? Could have been, right? Certainly worth investigating. But nothing ever happened to that. Not even a mention of the tripod in the tree in any police report. Not one. And yet, when I'm out there and I'm looking at that tripod, I'm thinking, okay, this is a huge question mark for me. Like, what in the hell is a tripod doing in the tree at a crime scene and nobody pays attention to it? As I talked to Brent, I was trying to picture where this occurred. I googled some images of Green Lake and had a decent idea of what the area looked like, but I still couldn't fathom how a crime like this could happen in such a populated area during a busy summer day with tons of people around. I asked Brent, how could someone not see or know something? Now, the area that she was at, there is some foliage and some trees and some bushes. There are some areas that would be considered hard to see from the the bicycle and walking path, but the entire yard that leads up to that is full of picnickers and people chilling. And I mean, I've been there for three years in a row on that date, and it has been packed. (laughs) I mean, packed the point where when I'm walking down the the path to where this bench was and where we believe the crime scene was, there was always people down there. So that is why this this hammock guy is such an important piece, right? Like I said from the beginning, he's either a suspect or he's a really good witness who saw or heard something because he was there. He had been there. So it's just so mind-boggling that it, at least he, he could have been asked questions while detained because they had reason to detain him because he had a warrant. Now, if he didn't have a warrant, he could have just said, I'm out. I don't have to talk to you guys. And they didn't, he wouldn't have to. But he had a warrant, an active warrant for domestic violence. The very thing we're talking about, the violence against women. I mean, <laughs> just, it's shocking to me as a police officer, that they did not... Det- it's a perfect example when to detain somebody. You know, your, your sergeant would come up and say, absolutely, we can detain him because we do have a warrant and we can ask him questions while we're waiting for Shoreline to come pick him up. I asked Brent and everyone I interviewed what's something the public can do to help solve this case. And almost everyone I talked to had the same answer. If you were at Green Lake... On August 30th, 2019, and you think you saw Autumn, you should phone the Seattle police. Everyone I spoke to said given how busy the lake was that day, someone must have seen Autumn. Someone coming forward with new information may be the only way to ultimately disprove the suicide theory and find justice for Autumn and her family. So this is what I was told. If... It doesn't even answer how she zipped up her coat, because nobody can answer that part. How could she have? How could she have done that? The only way it would be is to have like a tourniquet type twist, 
So imagine if you had a tourniquet, so you twist, you twist, you twist, and it just keeps tightening. And then you would have to tuck that up so it wouldn't release, right? So you'd tuck it up and under something. But it was so tight, there was no, and there was no spot where a tourniquet, like a stick would have been. Uh, even if there was something like that, it would have been under the vest coat, but that, nothing like that was found. And even the, the, the lieutenant from Seattle Fire said there was, there was no tourniquet. There's, there was no twist. He, he said, this is, he even said it, this is, a, this is a homicide. I mean, somebody killed her. Yeah, we know. We know somebody killed her. If you have any information about what happened to Autumn at Green Lake, you can contact the Seattle Police Department's Homicide Unit at 206-233-5000. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show appreciation, you can buy me a coffee at the link in the description. If you want to support the podcast on a monthly basis, you can head to the Patreon. For $5 a month, you get ad and sponsor-free episodes, exclusive content, and early access to all new episodes of the podcast. For those of you who bought me a coffee or subscribed to Patreon in the last few weeks, thank you so much for the support. As we close out, I'm going to leave you with a clip from the next episode of this series. Thanks for listening to the Missing and Unexplained podcast. It's devastating and sad and frustrating that still nothing has been done. There's nothing. Not a single thing has been done. Whether or not it was who people think it is, Whoever did it is still just out there, walking around, could be doing it to other people. We don't know. It's it's just infuriating. And somebody knows. And somebody's hiding it. Somebody's covering for this person. And that just kills me. Just kills me. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.